الجزيرة بودكاست In the lush Shakakola forest near the coast of Kenya, a group of people gather at a ranch. At the center of it is their leader, Paul McKenzie. He's a Christian pastor and a televangelist who has promised them the chance to meet Jesus. Time will tell. To do it, they have to starve themselves. They believed they would meet God. They ended up in a shallow grave. Dozens of bodies have been found in eastern Kenya on land owned by the leader of a religious cult. That's what Kenyan authorities say happened at McKinsey's ranch last month. The story has left Kenya reeling. My children are dead. I know that for sure. The young men who told me about my children had been living in the forest since 2021. They told me the names of my children and they did not even know me. They told me my children had been starved to death. McKinsey appeared in court on Tuesday and is set to be tried on terrorism charges. This is Kenya's president, William Ruto. Terrorists use religion to advance their heinous acts. People like Mr. McKenzie are using religion to do exactly the same thing. So could this have been stopped? And how did one man get hundreds of people to follow him to their death? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. We brought the attention of the world to the fact that there were actually mass graves within the 800-acre ranch. That's Hussein Khalid. He's the executive director of Haki Africa, a human rights group that helped break the story. The death toll is now over 100 people, including children. And the Kenyan Red Cross says more than 300 have been reported missing. So, Hussein. My understanding is that you've been on the site of the ranch where bodies of the people who died have been exhumed. What has that been like? What have you seen? Oh, that has been uh, devastating. Um, I have no words for it. Uh, You know, when you are called to witness a mass grave of five children lined next to each other, head, feet, head, feet, head. And it was just, it was just horrible. No coffin. They were all in, uh, you know, wrapped up in uh, pieces of clothes, and uh, you know the the stench around the entire area. If you, you know, just imagine what uh, these children must have gone through to meet their deaths. It's really, really horrible. Everyone who was there, you know, was traumatized and you know had no words for what they were seeing. So that place was just uh, devastating, to say the least. Yeah. So these mass graves within the ranch, someone alerted your organization to the fact that they were there. What happened? A woman wanted a five-year-old boy rescued. And she had come to our office with two other individuals who were former adherents of this uh, cult. And basically, they had alerted her that if that boy is actually within that cult, then most probably he would end up dead. 
So this family came to uh, this lady came to us with the two former members of this cult and uh, you know requested for our support in terms of getting the boy out. Mm-hmm. Of course we were shocked we were surprised especially to hear what these two uh, former cult members were referring to saying that they had actually left that sect because of the killings that they had noted and the burials that were going on. This was uh, shocking. We had similar complaints in the past but uh, you know we didn't know that it was this serious so we immediately reported to the police and asked them to intervene so what do we know about what actually happened and what this group was all about what we were informed by some of the members that we managed to rescue is that uh, they were informed the world is coming to an end in june and it's a uh, you know last minute dash to make it to heaven so these individuals were told that they need to uh, die in prayers they need to worship and for them uh, fasting was not in any way uh, suicide but rather you know uh, worship and if they die in worship then of course they go directly to heaven mm-hmm. so uh, the fast were the children that were supposed to go followed by women and then the men came last and uh, this preacher had actually managed to convince hundreds to go on this uh, suicide path and that is what is uh, extremely devastating and hussein says that the boy his team initially went to rescue is what led them to that story the boy had two siblings as well you know when we eventually rescued that young boy the stories he told us is that uh, his uh, siblings had already been killed and that they had actually been buried but of course there was no evidence of uh, what had happened so we were issued with an order for exhumation so that we can get the bodies of the other two it is that process that actually um, led to the discovery of the mass graves when we asked the boy could you lead us to where you think your siblings were buried this boy is the hero because he could remember his way through the thickets the bushes the shrubs to where the siblings were buried and on reaching there we actually discovered that there were many mm. many graves and i mean when we counted there were easily 50 plus mm. so that's when we, we we alerted the authorities and alerted them and told them this is extremely serious and you guys need to come down or send your people down here as soon as possible wow so what do we know about the people who joined this cult and what do we know about their backgrounds they come from different backgrounds initially we thought this guy is praying on uh, rural folks you know who are disconnected from uh, mainstream because this place is very remote it's almost like 70 or 60 kilometers from the nearest main town of malindi and even after you come off the main road and it's not when you hear ranch it's not like an open field it's uh, bushes and trees and shrubs that are human size long you know so it's you, you can't even tell what's happening 10 meters from where someone stands you know mm. but when we began um, you know rescuing individuals and asking them questions and all that we realized that he's actually dealing with uh, differing believers you know he has for example a former airline crew member from Qatar Airways you know there is a former GSU GSU is Kenya's elite uh, security force. Wow. He together with his wife and children, 
you know? So it's a, a mix of bags, if I may call it that. It's not just one particular uh, type of persons that you would say he's uh, targeting. So this is what is raising, you know, eyebrows and concerns and people are wondering, how did he manage to convince all these people? For me, the most worrying concern was how he convinced mothers mothers of all people you know to starve their children to death mm. some of the tales we hear are that uh, he had children ring fenced with thorns like the way we put kettle here in kenya instead of barbed wire they just cut shrubs and thorns and they ring fence one place and they put the kettle there so this guy said when he went looking for his children, he, he saw this with his eyes, you know, that uh, the children were put in the center and with the sun shining so much, with thorns around them and they couldn't make their way out and they were crying. You know, eventually these children ended up dying because there are graves there that we can confirm that these children actually died. Oh, that's heartbreaking. It's just, it's just a a traumatizing uh, uh, experience. Yeah. So who was the person accused of causing all this horror? That's after the break. On the Inside Story podcast this week, we'll examine the impact of fighting in Sudan on its eastern neighbor, Chad. Tens of thousands of refugees have been crossing the border and more are likely to follow. So how much of a threat is this conflict for Chad? Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So, Hussein, who is Pastor Paul McKenzie? What can you tell us about his background? I think that's the million-dollar question everyone is asking. Um, what we know about him is what we read uh, in the newspapers that he started in, um, you know, a, a different county, actually a neighboring county called Kwale. He finished high school and he started his preaching there, but uh, he wasn't very well uh, received. Actually, people were very angry with his teachings mm. and they chased him away. Wow. He again started preaching in a different part of that county. Again, there he met, uh, you know, stiff resistance. And of course, he ran away to where he is now based. And uh, it seems like uh, he found what he wanted. You know, there isn't much information about him, like uh, his character, whether he's calm. All we know is that uh, he has a very, I would say, commanding voice when he speaks. But today, today, I remind all people in the world, have they seen that prophecy that education is evil? The police officers who have uh, had a one-on-one -on -one with him uh, have, uh, you know, informed us that uh, he's, he can be very convincing. Mm. You know, he can be very convincing. I remember one of the soldiers telling me, we'll give you just half an hour with him and you will be recruited into his <laughs> way of doing things. I was like, really? Oh, my. You know? So <laughs> I think that's what he must have used. But uh, it's a, a big question that everyone is, uh, you know, wondering how he managed to do this. Last year, the Kenyan government made a move to require anyone who wanted to start a church to show that they had a theology degree, and it later became an issue in the presidential election as well. Did he have the proper qualifications to be a pastor? 
Are there qualifications that go into that? This is why we're now calling for the regulation of the religious sector in the country. Almost all sectors in the country, NGOs, journalists, you know, everyone is regulated. But, uh, you know, when it comes to religion, um, it has been a free for all also to speak in Kenya. So someone would just wake up uh, tomorrow morning and decide to start a church or to start a mosque or to start a cult for that matter in this case. What we know is that uh, he had uh, publicly denounced his uh, being a pastor and he said that uh, he's now working on his own and he wants to call people to heaven and that, uh, you know, he just wants to save as many people as he can before the world comes to an end. Hmm. How was he getting his message out there? How would people from all these various walks of life find out about him? Initially, he owned a TV station and he was using that TV station to spread his radical teachings. And at some point, the regulatory body for media houses uh, got wind of what was happening and they closed down the TV station and said that uh, they can't allow this to proceed. He actually was even arrested for spreading fundamental religious ideologies. Mackenzie was charged with disobedience of the law, religious incitement and indoctrination of children as well. And it didn't stop there. He was charged in a court of law for that. So the station was shut down. After the TV station, we know he mainly used word of mouth. And uh, his catch was always family members. He usually preyed on father, mother, children. I remember one mass grave we went to witness. There was a male, a female and three children in one grave. He would, uh, you know, call on people. Um, Here, I call on my brother. My brother calls on my other brother. Then the brother gets his wife and children and so on and so forth. You've mentioned that McKinsey has run into problems with the law before, several times. He was again arrested after two boys starved to death, but the police did not charge him. People had been concerned that he presented a danger to society for quite some time. Most recently, he was arrested in March in connection with the murder of two children by starvation and suffocation, and that's after the tip from your organization. He was released on bail, and that's a decision that has, unsurprisingly, been criticized in light of what's now happened. So have the government or police responded to those who say that Paul McKenzie should never have been a free man to begin with? I think so far, um, government has uh, dodged that question. Of course, uh, at one point, the Cabinet Secretary for Interior said that they are ashamed as a government that this has happened. The government of Kenya will do whatever it takes to make sure that we convict Mr. Mackenzie and all those who helped him perpetrate his heinous crimes, that they pay with the severest and most painful punishment available. They acknowledge uh, that uh, there has been failure. They have promised that should there be confirmation that any officer was involved in any form of laxity, that these matters were reported to them and they did not take the appropriate action. They have intimated that there will be accountability. The case you're referring to, the March case, is where now we rescued the boy and we took 
him to the police and the police were astonished with what he had to say. But, uh, you know, after the arrest, you know, in Kenya, uh, around that period of time, we were facing a drought, you know, that had been quite prolonged. And children dying of starvation was something that had come up in several instances in different parts of the country. So when the matter was brought before the court, um, you know, they were wondering, could this just have been another case of children dying out of the prolonged drought that maybe these individuals had actually lost their lives from the drought? And then certain persons now are trying to pin it on a church leader because of the ever competing church wars in the region. And that's why they said, first of all, let's exhume the bodies. Once we have the bodies, then, you know, we can arrest him again or charge him and all that. And we did put pressure on the state, like, you know, you need to do this now. But it took a couple of weeks before they were ready. Hussein says that when police went in to try and exhume the bodies, they were met with violence by McKinsey's followers. They beat up some of the officers, some of our officers. Wow. And they burned some of the motorcycles that had transported uh, these officers to that place. And this now really, really angered the police. So they went back, got reinforcements, more police officers, and now came back fully armed. From your story, I mean, it it also shows how loyal his followers are. Mm -hmm. Even now, the people rescued from the ranch don't seem that happy about it. They want to continue their fast. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, we've met a couple of them as we, you know, went into the forest in terms of uh, uh, rescuing them. And uh, we've met quite a number of you who've told us, look, I'm in my senses. I know what I'm doing. You guys just leave me alone. You know, others who are extremely weak, I tried to administer first aid, you know, like uh, giving them glucose because you can't give them, you know, solid food. And they would shut their lips, you know, so tightly, like they don't want anything, you know. So some of those we, we talked to at that point in time, they were saying this was prophesized. You know, they were told that there will be individuals who will come with police officers and, you know, all that stuff to stop you from ascending to heaven. You know, these are devil's children and they will not be happy with the fact that you are going to heaven and that you are actually dying in worship. So everything that is happening to them is a prophecy that has come true and that they were warned about this and that now we are there to stop them from going to heaven. So Hussein, are cults in Kenya a recent phenomenon or is there a history of them in the country? I believe we have a history. We, we have a history, but not at this magnitude. Religion is a very, very strong uh, practice in Kenya. Many people believe in these things. We were following up on another case where a Muslim imam was accused of uh, killing an individual who he claimed was possessed by a genie. We had to exhume her body also. We had to perform an autopsy. So it's not, uh, I would say, entirely new. Uh, we've had cults in the past, but none this devastating. Mm. Many have compared this incident to the Jonestown massacre in the 1970s when the American cult leader, Jim Jones, led his followers to a mass suicide in Guyana. 
It's been argued that Jonestown happened because many of the cult's followers were born in the United States, where a lot of economic and social unrest was happening at the time. Is there something about the place Kenya is in, in this moment, politically, economically, that you think might make some people more susceptible to cults right now? I think you can draw parallels to an extent because uh, the country is presently in a very, very um, disturbing um, situation uh, besides the drought that had led to livestock and even human loss of lives, you know, really uh, disturbed very many people. We are also experiencing soaring prices of commodities all over the country. We have uh, huge opposition parties, demonstrations where People are killed in property worth millions is damaged. People are not very happy with the police who are accused of extrajudicial killings and enforced disappearances. So we are not presently in good times. But that's no excuse. That's no excuse for such a thing to happen. I personally still believe uh, the authorities should have been, uh, you know, more careful. You can't have people being buried uh, every other day, wherever it is, and we claim to have a state in power. I know there are many issues they're dealing with. They have a lot that they are currently having to manage, but deaths in this magnitude should not have gone unnoticed. They should have done something to stop this much, much earlier than when they did. And that's The Take. We'll be back tomorrow. This episode was produced by Ashish Malhotra and Chloe K. Lee, with Amy Walters, Nagin Oliai, Sonia Bagat, Miranda Lynn, Khalid Sultan, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Adam Abugad and Munira Al-Dosari are The Take's engagement producers. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio.